Father of lights, we pray that these gifts we bring would be a fragrant offering unto you. Well, Lord, may we have the stewardship and the knowledge and the wisdom and the direction of your Holy Spirit to use these gifts for this community and beyond. Lord, these gifts are not for programs. Lord, these gifts are for ministry, impacting the life of others. Thank you. Now, Spirit of life, descend upon us. Let us hear your words. Let us hear the words and the questions of Jesus through our scripture. Be as though they were being spoken to us. For we ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. You may be seated. First, I have to bring you uh, greetings from someone that I I serendipitously met, uh, and Nick did. Nick and I were at a Presbyterian gathering for pastors uh, for a couple days this week, and um, somebody that I did not know ran up and said, you got to meet this guy, and I didn't even know who this woman was, but anyway, I went with it, and um, she introduced to me to this very tall gentleman by the name of Kirk Newman. And Kirk Newman used to be one of you guys and gals. He used to be a Kirk singer. He is the son of the Newmans of the Newman Center. And uh, so he was there for his 50th high school reunion. Um, But he sends greetings to his church family and wants to say hi. So I told him how much his parents are beloved. Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. This morning, turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We have been uh, pressing through uh, Mark the last couple of weeks. And to put it into context and remind ourselves, Jesus has been uh, spending predominantly most of his time in these Markan narratives at this time in the northern part of, uh, of Israel. You know, if the Sea of Galilee were a big circle... Um, at the 12 o'clock position would be the town of Capernaum. And Jesus is using Capernaum as kind of a launching place to go different ways. So last week, you remember, Jesus had left Capernaum and he traveled some uh, 30 miles away to the coast, to the town of Tyre, where he um, met that Canaanite woman who uh, had a word to say to Jesus and opened up his eyes and boundaries of who was in and who was out. Then Jesus from there in Mark, if we kept on, you'd see he traveled another 40 miles north to a town called Sidon, which is up in modern-day Lebanon. Uh, And then he travels from Sidon down to the Decapolis, which is at the 3 o'clock position, if you're looking at the Sea of Galilee as a clock. And that's about a distance of between here and Vero Beach. So Jesus has been on the move. And today we're picking up in the story where he once again is on the road. And his, ty- his disciples are, are traipsing in behind him. He is headed up now to a, a community or area called Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi is about 30, 25, 30 miles north of Capernaum. 
So it's going up into the mountainous areas on the very extreme northern part of Israel uh, where Mount Hermon is, which is the source of the water that comes down and feeds the Sea of Galilee. Now, back in ancient days, Caesarea Philippi was known to have uh, the world's largest temple and shrine to the Greek god Pan. And so it was a very popular place for the Greeks and the Romans as well. So Jesus is on the road. And this is where we pick up in the story. Mark chapter 8, verses 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist. Others said, Elijah. And still others said, you're one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly, Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Jesus said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, but turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. So Jesus called the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who will lose their life for my sake And for the sake of the good news, the gospel will save it. This, my beloved, is the word of the Lord. Indeed, indeed. Well, good morning, beloved saints. Good morning, beloved sinners. Our text this morning is so rich. It is so textured. We looked at the story earlier in the year, I believe it was back in February, and we focused upon the notion of bearing our cross. And that was the aspect that we we zeroed in on. Well, today we're going to focus on the singular, vital question Jesus asked his disciples as they were traveling up around the villages of Caesarea Philippi. It's a question about identity. And did you catch it? As mentioned earlier, Jesus is on the road teaching and preaching and healing all over northern Israel. He's a man on a mission. He's putting in the miles. He's a trekker. He's been out casting demons, arguing with spiritual leaders of the day and the Jewish PhDs. They were walking about. Jesus pops a question as they're on their way walking around Caesarea Philippi, hot and sweaty, and he turns around and he says to his friends, 
Hey, y'all. He's from Bethlehem, that's southern, that southern Judea. <laughs> hey, y'all, who do you say? Who do people say that I am? It's a fair question. Since Jesus has been interacting with uptight religious officials, pagan women, and your regular everyday Joe and Jane Jewish person, he's rubbed shoulders with rabbis, sick people of all ethnicities, cast out demons, and is, he is simply just curious, what are people saying out there about me? What are you hearing? Boots on the ground. As a pastor, I can appreciate that question. It's a question that my friend Nick and I want to know the answer to as we build ministry with you. So, you know, at times we're going to ask you, so what are you members of the church here hearing about how things are going? What are your observations about the church and her ministry? What are you hearing out in the community about our congregation? And what I've learned as a pastor, and Nick, as you grow into the ministry longer and longer, you will learn it too, that people are all too eager to tell you what they think. (laughs) But that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus wasn't asking for criticism. Jesus was asking, what are you hearing from them out there? Jesus wanted to plumb the depth of understanding on how people were responding to his words and actions. Some people thought he was his cousin John the Baptist reincarnated. Others thought he was the great prophet Elijah that was back to life. The upshot is that most felt he was some type of prophet from God. Now a prophet, my friends, is not just uh, someone who future tells. We think of a prophet as someone who can tell and predict the future. Well, Jesus could foretell the future, but that's not the kind of prophet I think the people in the scriptures saw him as. You see, the other type of prophet wasn't just future tellers. The prophet back in the biblical times was a truth teller. A truth teller. You see, there are ones that speak the honest reality to the people. As a truth teller, Jesus, my friend, spoke words of truth about the way the people were focused on themselves and not on their neighbor. As a truth teller, Jesus called out the shallow spiritual lives of the religious leaders. And he was calling the people of Israel back towards an inner righteousness, towards God, as evidenced by the people's expression of radical love to neighbor. Jesus' truth-teller was calling out unjust political structures, unjust spiritual structures, broken social conditions, and he demanded that the leaders of those structures change their ways. He was a truth-teller. He was so much of a truth-teller that both the Roman and Jewish leaders felt Jesus was nothing more than an insurrectionist. Jesus 
as truth teller, was a rocker of the status quo. And we all like our status quo, don't we? Everybody, I mean, who doesn't like the way when things are predictable and easy? And Who likes when someone comes and starts rocking the boat, stirring the pudding? You know, the church, we know a lot about encountering status quo attitudes and thinking, don't we? We never did it that way. We don't sing those types of hymns, choir. We don't allow those kind of people in leadership, you know. You're going to upset so-and-so if you move that piece of furniture from here to there. And by goodness, you better wear a robe all summer in hot Florida. Because that's the way it's always been done. We like our status quo. Oh, Lord. Some things in religious and social life never change. Truth teller prophets are not typically liked or appreciated at the time of their speaking. You see, the truth hurts and stings sometimes. The truth pinches sometimes. It can be uncomfortable. It can be inconvenient. Truth tellers are equated with troublemakers, aren't they? And you see, that's how most people during Jesus' day saw him. He was speaking truth to a world and culture wrapped up in its own self-stylized status quo. So what do they say about me out there? What are you hearing? And then as Jesus walks along a little more with his companions, we can imagine him as he's walking, he's wiping the sweat off his brow, and he smiles. So that's what they say. But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now imagine, I can only imagine with that group of disciples, there was probably some somewhat some uh, silence as they were trying to figure out, okay, what is the answer the teacher's looking for? I want to give the right answer. I want to give the best answer. And sure enough, Peter, Peter he scores, bless his heart. He, he opens his mouth and says, you are the Messiah. He scores. He hit it right between the uprights. We can almost hear the other disciples grumbling amongst themselves, show off. Peter gets it. And we want to shout along with them saying, Yay, Peter! Way to go! And yet we soon realize that we shouted out just a little too soon. Peter no sooner exclaims who Jesus is when Jesus immediately describes the truth about what Messiah means. And Peter doesn't like it. Peter had his own idea of who Messiah, what Messiah should do, who Messiah should be. 
And so he publicly calls Jesus over and publicly rebukes him for giving the wrong answer about his prediction of his death and all this cross-bearing stuff. And then Jesus all of a sudden whips around and he tells Peter, get behind me. And the word Satan means adversary or deceiver. You see, that's what Satan is. It describes who he is. He deceives. And although Peter got it right about Jesus being Messiah, the deceiver working within Peter totally confused him as to what Messiah meant. Peter is gone from being way up here and getting the right answer for the teacher to being way down here at the bottom of the class. And you can almost hear the other disciples snickering. (laughs) Got him. Friends, Peter had an un- or had a deceived notion of who Jesus should be. And Jesus understood that Peter, the rock of the church, if the rock and the foundation of the church can't get it right, then the church is in deep kimchi. The church is in trouble. If Peter is deceived about what and who the Messiah is, there is not going to be much hope for the larger church. So Jesus calls him on it. Jesus calls him on it. Peter, to be Messiah means to die for those you love. Peter, to be Messiah means you're going to have to pick up your own cross and bear what I'm suffering as well and be led to where the Spirit will take you. Jesus, my beloved, is being honest. He does not want to deceive those people who follow him. He does not want to water down and deceive us about the cost of being a follower, a disciple. Jesus is redefining discipleship to mean more than sitting at a teacher's feet and learning And redefining it as such that discipleship and cross-bearing is a way of life where the student takes his or her feet and places them in the same footprints in the sand the teacher leaves as they lead. Friends, Jesus' questions are relevant and apropos for the church today. As we forge a path into the wilderness called South Florida and Broward County and beyond, we should and we need to be asking, who do the people we encounter see Jesus as. How does the world around us see Jesus? 
Presbyterian pastor and Fuller Seminary professor, Todd uh, Bolzinger, who is lead pastor at a Presbyterian church in San Clemente, California. He describes how people in his community view Jesus in the church. And you can almost hear it as though it applies to Broward, Miami-Dade counties. In his book, Canoeing the Mountains, he writes... When cities are now considering using eminent domain laws to replace churches with tax revenue generating big box stores, when Sundays are more about soccer and Starbucks than they are about Sabbath, when Christian student groups on college campuses are de-recognized, when the fastest growing religious affiliation among young people Today are the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, who don't believe in anything. He says when a funeral in a conservative beach town like San Clemente is more likely to have a a funeral that is a Hawaiian-style paddle-out than gathering in the sanctuary, he says then Christendom as a marker of society has passed. Close quote. You see, it would appear, my beloved, that Jesus has lost his identity in our world today. Well, actually, the world has lost Jesus' identity in the world today. And there are several reasons for that. God's calling in one right now. But the one that is being called in right now that I want to lift up is this. If we, First Presbyterian Church, is the body of Jesus Christ, the visible, tangible, fleshy expression of Jesus in the world today, what does the world see about Jesus when they look at us? Jesus has lost his identity in the world because the body of Christ, the church, like Peter in our story, is trying to shape Jesus' identity to conform to a way that fits our purposes, our culture's comfort levels. We want Jesus to feel good. We want him to be seeker-friendly. We've moved from holy worship to Christotainment in our culture. Oftentimes, my friends, the Western church has adapted itself to fit more like the body of the culture at hand as opposed to the body of Jesus Christ. So what do our neighbors around us see, think, experience about First Presbyterian Church? Then again, do they even know we're here? You see, Jesus was a revolutionary and a cultural spiritual troublemaker in his prophetic witness, and people talked about it. People knew about it. 
Our task, brothers and sisters, as the body of Christ is to reflect upon whether or not our neighbors see you and me, see this church right here, right now, as a revolutionary, cultural, spiritual, table-flipping church, an entity, or are we status quo? Are we working for the just causes of Jesus in an unjust world? Or are we giving those causes a wink and a check? So we have an idea of what the larger world thinks about Jesus. We're being asked to probe what the world sees, how the world sees Jesus in us as a body of Christ. But ultimately it comes down to the question Jesus asked Peter and the disciples. Okay, you told me what others think about me. Who do you say that I am? Who do you, my beloved, see Jesus as? Who is Jesus? Think about that answer real carefully. For you see, my beloved, how each of us responds. Our responses aren't just our personal responses about how we see Jesus. Your response woven together with my response, woven with Maxine's, woven with Petey's, woven with Jim's, come together and they display the Jesus sees to the world. So, who do you say Jesus is? How each of us express our core heart values will be the measure of how we tell the world who and what we believe and serve. Who do you, church? Say that I am. Jesus asks. Who do you see me as, my beloved? Jesus asks. It's all about identity. Pray with me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon us. Lord, help us to evaluate that very vital question of identity. Who do we say you are? Good teacher, miracle worker, prophet. Do we see you as some do-gooder in the community, an activist? Or, Lord, do we see you as the incarnate Son of the Most High God, flipping tables, 
so that we will love others in God's name. Speak to us this day. Amen.